pair of hands, scooped up some dust, dusty soil, and began to put it in a pile. And when the pile was big enough, those hands began to shape it and form it into a form and a shape that had never, ever been seen before. And when the soil had been fashioned into the desired form, the Creator bent down, looking at what He had created, breathed into His nostrils. And suddenly and miraculously, the form made of the soil came to life. Adam had been created, and Adam somehow knew that he was the crown jewel of creation. He was God's ultimate in all of creation. And somehow he knew that a relationship had been established between the Creator God and Adam, the first man. And there was a relationship of love. Mankind was created from love. God is love. And he was created for love, to be loved by God. And, of course, for us to love him back. There are so many great truths in the Bible, we sometimes go right past some of the simple ones that are the most important. There is probably no greater truth in the Scripture other than the gospel message that God is love and, and don't forget this part, this is so important, that he loves us. That he loves us. We hear it so often, we say it so quickly, it just almost becomes um, something we, we don't even take it for granted because we don't think about it. And we certainly don't act like we understand it. And the understanding of how God, how much God loves us is of great if not the greatest importance. You need to, we need to understand how much he loves us. Some of you may have heard of a man by the name of Karl Barth. A young student asked Karl Barth to share the most significant theological truth he had discovered in all his years of study. Barth was one of the most prolific theologians of the 20th century. He wrote approximately 60 volumes of commentaries and theological books. This brilliant man that many, many call the most important theologian of modern times was asked a question by the students. And he's smiling as he's thinking about what this student asked. What is the greatest truth you've discovered in all your study of the Scripture? And Karl Barth smiled some more and he says, the greatest truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. The greatest truth. Today we're going to look at some of the scriptures that I hope can give us a greater understanding of how great the love of God is for us. We're going to be looking in Ephesians, and we're going to look at just how wide, how long, How high and how deep is the love of God? Chapter 3, verses 14 through 20 is a prayer that Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus that I believe could be prayed for each one of us every day. Skipping to kind of the end of the prayer in verse 20, he says, with great confidence, and I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I pray and I'm talking to God, I don't pray with this kind of confidence. 
But think and listen to how he prays. He says, Now to him it was able to do immeasurably more. Some translations say exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you pray with that kind of confidence? When you pray, do you know that this God can do exceedingly abundantly immeasurably more. How much is immeasurably more? By definition, it can't even be measured. It can't be measured. We need, when we pray, we need to realize that God is not limited by a calendar. You know, time as we all think about it, as we all know it, is, is not from God, really. When we look at time in terms of what God created, he created the first day, the second day, the third day, fourth, fifth, and sixth day, seventh day, and that, this whole idea of weeks, months, minutes, seconds, that's our idea. And when we pray so often, we are praying and we are limiting God by our calendar. And we need to understand that God's not limited like that. We need to realize that we may not see the answers to our prayers in a week, a month, a year. We may not even see the impact of all of the things we are asking God about and for this side of heaven. We may not know the impact your prayers have had until you get to heaven. That shouldn't rattle our confidence in the least. And one of the things that you see in Scripture often, and you certainly see it in here in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, when they jump to the end of the story, how many of you read a book you like to look at the last few pages first? Yeah, bad. You know, we just can't stand. We want, that's kind of what we just did. We looked at the end of the story. But when you do that, there is a whole lot. And when Paul's praying this prayer, and these words are in this book for us, in the Bible for us, it's there to teach us a whole lot of things. He's going to point out some things that Paul wants us to learn, God wants us to learn, to get us to that point where we can pray with that kind of confidence that we can trust God when we pray. These things that Paul wants us to see and that we're going to look at, they will change us. They will strengthen us. They will make our lives more rich and our lives more full, and they will increase our faith. Going back to verse verse 18 of chapter 3. I pray that you may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And we're going to be looking at that verse most of the time this morning. But just looking at it, there are so many little parts to it that it's amazing and how much there can be stuffed into one little verse. All the saints. Well, hopefully we all understand that, but the saints in the Scripture are anybody who's a believer. That's us if we are believers. We are saints. And I only point that out because I know a lot of us may have came from the Catholic background, for example, and they have saints, and you have to go through this, this criteria to become a saint according to the church. And that's neither here nor there, except I want us to understand we are all saints. And when Paul is writing this, it's to us, all the saints. And notice what he says, that you may have power to grasp. 
we need a supernatural power to even grasp the supernatural love of God. His love is so immeasurable, it's so amazing, it's so different than human love that we can't even understand it with our natural brain or our natural senses. We can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. We can't even get it unless there's this power that comes from somewhere else. And in verse 16, it tells us it's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's how amazing his love is. Paul is praying Father, give them a power that comes from your Holy Spirit that they may grasp, that they may take hold of, that they may understand the amazing love, how deep, how high, how long, how wide that love is. And that's what we need. If we are born-again believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That power is there and it's available to us to understand and know the love of God towards us. It's a love that's so incredible that our natural minds and bodies, senses can't even get it. In 1 John 3, verse 1, John writes these words, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Behold it. Look upon it. Gaze upon it. Look at this amazing kind of love. Can you imagine? There's this kind of love that declares that we're children of God. We sing those words, we say those words, they mean something. What do they mean to you and me? We are children of God. We've been purchased with the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed. It's all an act of his love for us out of this supernatural love that only the Holy Spirit can really help us understand. And we need to know and understand it because it will increase our faith. As we know and understand the love of God more, our faith will grow, our confidence in Him will grow. Our purity and the way we live our lives will grow, it will change. The priorities of things in our life will change and grow and be reordered according to the love of God that we understand and know about. The commitment that we will make to Him will be changed. It will be dramatically increased when we know and understand the love of God. And very much important, of great importance, is this too. You and I can't share. We can't explain. We can't give this love if we first don't have it ourselves. We need to know it. We need to understand it. We talk about love a lot. We sing about love of the the Lord a lot. We do all these things. But the reality is, do we get it? Do we understand it? Ephesians 3.18, I pray that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. When you hear those words, do you ever think about them? Do you ever think about those four words? How wide, how long, how high, how deep? Is it just some poetic writing by Paul to the church in Ephesus? Or do they have more behind them? Well, I'm going to share a little bit about what I think might be behind those words and the meaning of those words in the hope that it helps us to embrace this love that's available to all of us, that lives in us, actually, in a greater and greater way. 
some of the points I want to give credit to a pastor named John Lindell, Church in Missouri, as I was looking through some of his material. It really struck a chord with me. The width of God's love. What does that mean? How wide is God's love? Paul's praying, God, that they may have a supernatural power that will help them understand how wide his love is. I believe that's making reference to the fact that God's love has no boundaries. It has no boundaries. Human beings like to put boundaries and boxes and fences around everything. God's love has no boundaries. God's love is for the nobodies, and it's for the somebodies. God's love is for the rich and the poor. The God's love is for the smart and the simple. God's love is for everybody. It's for men, and it's for women, and it's for children. It's for everybody. There's no boundaries whatsoever. It's for the black, it's for the white, it's for the brown, and whatever colors there are in between. It's for everybody. It was for the Jews, and it was for the Gentiles. It's for everybody. It's for the Americans. It's for the Africans. It's for everybody. It's for the Canadians and the Chinese, the Rwandans and the Russians. It's for the Mexicans and the Malaysians. It's for everybody. There's no boundaries to the love of God. None. And guess what? That includes all of us in that mix somewhere. We should be found in there. God's love is wide. No boundaries. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says these words, With your blood you purchased men from, for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and every nation. His love is wide. It has no boundaries. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see this scene in heaven. As John writes these words, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, God's love is wide. Help us understand that, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand that. Help us to understand that it includes us. Us. His love is wide. His love is long. How long is God's love? I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how wide it is. How long is it? I think in terms of length, I think a word that comes to mind, his love is infinite. His love is infinite. There was no beginning and there is no end to his love for us. It refers to the totally endless nature of God's love. Endless nature of his love. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says this, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads to salvation. An everlasting love. An everlasting love. It's astounding. And it's a miracle how those lights change all by themselves. Just kill them, would you? They really were changing by themselves. That wasn't them. (laughs) Everlasting. Eternity past, eternity future. God has loved us. His love is long. He didn't start loving you when you got saved. He loved you before that. He loved you before anything existed. 
He loved you before he created anything. He loved you before the fall of man. He's loved you with an everlasting love forever and ever. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before I formed you, we've heard that verse so many times, before I formed you in your mother's womb, before that I loved you. I loved you with an everlasting love. Before I formed you, before you were born, I set you apart as one I love. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He lo- in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He loves us. He loved us so much. He predestined a plan that Jesus Christ, his son, was going to come to earth and he was going to die on a cross for us so that God wasn't just a family. The Jews just weren't in the family of God. All of us could be in the family of God. He loved us so much before we were even created, before we came into existence. Why will he love you forever, no matter what? Well, his love is constant. His love is unchanging. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and not tomorrow, forever. Forever. He doesn't change. If he loved us, if he ever loved us, he loves us. We need to grab hold of that truth. It will set you free. That's why Paul is praying this way. He knows when we begin to know and understand the love of God, it will change everything. God's love. It's relentless. We've sang that song about the relentless love of God before. It's relentless. He pursues us with his love. God's love is wide, it's, it's long, and it's high. The height of his love. You know, we all, I think, understand that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. And that's great, but it wasn't all. He died to make us good. He died to make us heirs with Christ of Christ's inheritance. You know, when Christ died, what does the Bible say? When Christ died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he was raised, we were raised with him. When he ascended, we ascended with him, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? We are seated at the right hand of the Father. That's how high his love is. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. John 17, 24 says, Father, and this is Jesus praying. Think about this for a second. Personalize this. Father, I want Mike. I want Paul. I want Cindy. I want, just put your name in there. I want them to be with me. You've given them to me. I want them to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. I want all of those that you have given me, all that have accepted the gift of salvation through Christ. I want them all with me. I want them all with me. They're joint heirs with me. I want them all. They're seated with me right here in heavenly places. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you with him. Practically, it will happen one day. We will all be with him 
positionally, we're already there because we died, we're buried, we're raised, ascended, and are seated beside him in heavenly places. We need to be like him. We need to get our eyes off of the focus because when he reads that verse that I was reading, it says that we should be called children of God in verse, 1 John 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For, what, for we shall see him as he really is, in the fullness of his glory. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. His love is high. We should keep our eyes fixed on him. One day we will be like him. We're not going to become gods, but we are going to be like him. We are going to be eternal. We are going to have glorified bodies. We are going to be able to comprehend the fullness of his goodness and his glory and the fullness of his love for us. Amazing to be like him. Where he is, we will be. The height of his love. His love is wide. It's long. It's high. And deep. How do you describe the depth of his love? How would you describe the depth of someone, your love for someone that you truly love? What words would you use? Would you talk about what you've done for them? How would you describe the depth of your love for this person who means the world to you? I think the only way we can describe the depth of God's love for us is to look at a couple of things that he did for us. And the first one I want us to look at is the reality that he left heaven. Jesus left heaven for us. In Philippians 2, verse 6, it says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Think about what he left behind. He's co-eternal. He coexisted with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He's co-equal to God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit. And he left that all behind. Why? Because he loves us so much. It's the depth of his love. He left heaven and came to earth. He left that place around the throne of God where the seraphims we talked about last week when we were talking about the holiness of God, where the seraphims, these angels, are just singing, holy, holy, holy. And then the other over here, holy, 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 back and forth. It goes on. You know how for long? Forever. Now, you and I, the little skeptical that we might be, we might think, oh, how boring must that get? There's a reason we might think that way. The first millisecond that we are in heaven, we are going to understand why the angels, the seraphs, can sing holy, 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 holy forever and ever. Because they see the glory of God. They see him as he really is. And one day we will see him as he really is. And that's what Jesus left. He left that glorious place in heaven to come to earth. Adored by the angels. He even set aside those divine prerogatives, those things he could have done as God. He, he chose not to. He humbled himself as a man. This is a little disturbing when it says he became nothing and then it says he became like one of us. 
But when you think about what he was in comparison to what we are, now you need to reverse that and think about what we will become. It's an amazing thing, and it's all because of the depth of his love. He loves us that much. And the second thing, and the greatest thing, as my mind is a demonstration of his love, is he went to the cross. The depth of his love can probably in no better way be demonstrated to us than the cross. Think about it. Really think about it. I, every time I think of it, I go to the movie The Passion of Christ in my head and I just about start crying. When you think about this, this holy, innocent, sinless man who walked the earth those 33 years or so, never did a single thing wrong to anybody. He was doing miracles, healing the sick, teaching like they've never seen before, casting out demons. He had been doing all of these things. And they arrest him, falsely accuse him. They beat him. The Bible says his face was beaten beyond recognition. It didn't even look like a human form. They took a whip to him with little lamb's bones in the ends, and every time they hit him, it ripped away his flesh. The depth of his love. They put the cross of thorns on his head and pressed it down till the blood was running down his body. The depth of his love. They made him carry this cross when he was so weak he could hardly stand. They made him carry the cross most of the way until he needed help, till the hill that they were going to kill him on. They laid him on a piece of wood, and he laid there, and he spread out his hands, and they nailed his hands and his feet to a cross, the depth of his love. God, can you help us to understand how deep your love is for us? They dropped that wooden cross in the ground and it must have went through every nerve ending in his body, the pain and the agony. And as bad as all that is or was, then the wrath of God was poured out from heaven upon him. Wave after wave of the wrath of God, the punishment that was due us. It's almost as if you condensed all the torment of hell and it came down on the cross and on Christ. It says he became sin on our behalf. He became a curse on our behalf. How deep is the love of God? And that's the love that he loves you with. How does that change us? How should it change us as we begin to know and understand the depth of that love in greater detail? The very giver of life, the author of life, tasted death. For us, he tasted death. The depth of his love. Why did he do it? Well, because he loved us. Yeah. Why did he love us? Not because we're so sweet. He didn't love us because we are lovable. He loved us because he is love. And he loves us. Hear these words. It's not about you. It's about him. He is love and he loves you and me. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's not about you. He loves you. Whatever you've done, whatever you're going to do, he loves you. It's not about us. It's about him. 
The only sense that is about us is we are of such value in his eyes. He loves us so much. That's the depth of his love. We were not lovable. I'm going to read you a scripture, and it's going to be from the Message Bible. And if you're familiar with the Message Bible, you know it elaborates a little bit. This is about us before Christ. There's nobody living right. Not even one. Nobody. Nobody who knows the score. Nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. They're all lost. No one is living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air, the stench of those open graves. They race for the honor of sinner of the year. They litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. They don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever is written in the Scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us whom these Scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we are sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. God had much to be offended about. There was much about us to offend him, but he loves us anyway because it's about him, not us. He loved us enough to redeem us. He loved us enough to give us his righteousness that we can stand before God and be seen as righteous and holy, the depth of his love. We're the recipients of that love. How wide, how long, how high is his love? The biggest question is, have you experienced it? If you've been born again by the power of God through accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's there. Receive it. Believe it. Pray like Paul prayed, God, give us the power to grasp this immeasurable love that you have for us. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't wait. Don't wait. We've talked about God being a spirit these past few weeks. We've talked about his holiness. We've talked about his goodness. We've talked about his love. Next week, we're going to talk about his justice. And we need to understand he is all of those things all at one time. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't want to understand and experience the full justice of God. That wrath that he took on for us at the cross, there will be that wrath for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For that immeasurable love. God, I pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, give us the power to grasp and comprehend that we might know and understand this kind of love. 
Father, that we can share this love with others. Father, that it would be a love that would be contagious. It would be a love that would draw people and that they would desire to know that same love. God, I praise you and thank you that it is a gift, that it's about you, not about us, that you love us because you're love. Lord, I pray that as we grab a hold of that truth, as we begin to understand, as your Holy Spirit gives us that power, God, that it would change us, that you would continue to transform us into the image of Christ, your Son that our minds would be continually be renewed by the Word of God. Lord, that we would walk in the kind of freedom that you desire for us as your children when we know and understand your love. Father, we are so grateful for your love. Pray, Lord, whatever we do, wherever we go, we would truly minister that love to others. The gospel message of love. The love that changed us, transformed us. Let us be ever alert, even this week, even this day. Those people you bring across our paths. Lord, and I do pray for this evening's gathering. I pray, God, for those who would come, that we would come with hearts, filled with anticipation to experience your presence in a corporate setting. God, that your love would fill this place and it would change the hearts and lives of people who come tonight looking for something. And Father, that it would change the hearts of those who come to worship you in spirit and truth. And we pray all these things, Father, that you would receive the glory and honor in your Son's name. Amen.